continue our study in John's Gospel. And so if you have a Bible or your bulletin insert, I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 14. And as you're turning, I want to remind you that um, John's Gospel is one that focuses on the person and work of Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, his ministry, and what that means for you and I. Our text this morning, John 14, verses 1 through 7, are part of a larger context of Jesus' teaching in chapters 13 through 16, which some have called the Upper Room Discourse. Jesus is teaching his disciples about things that matter most as he's getting ready to go to the cross and as he's getting ready to return to his Father in heaven. Jesus has just celebrated the Passover with his disciples. He's instituted the Lord's Supper, and now he's teaching them the things that matter most to prepare them for his absence as he goes back to the Father. Before I read this passage, let me pray and ask the Lord to help us. Gracious God, you have told us that your word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword piercing the vision of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the intentions of the heart. Lord, would you open our eyes that we might see wonderful things in your word. Speak to us, for your servant's sake. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Given that this is a shorter reading, I want us to use this as a unit for reading, so if you will, read along with me John chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. Some evenings, when my wife and I had put Bo, our son, to bed, we decided to put it on the TV and watch a little. And one of the channels that we sometimes watch is HGTV. I don't know if you're familiar with HGTV, but Amy, probably more than me, likes HGTV. And one of the newer shows that's on HGTV is called Property Brothers Forever Home. Familiar with the show, the premise is basically that these two brothers, Drew and Jonathan Scott, come together to help people transform their current house into their quote forever home. And so the producers say this about the show: Drew and Jonathan Scott are on a mission to help couples transform their houses into forever forever homes where they can put down roots and happily spend their lives. But before that can happen, they need Drew and Jonathan to unlock the full potential of their house and renovate it into the home of their dreams. 
Simon and I have watched a couple episodes of this show, and it's fascinating to see the interest in this idea of your forever child. You know, for better or for worse, we live in a very transient society. I think younger generations on a whole, but even older generations, see more and more of an idea of live here for a few years, work this job for a few years, and moving on from place to place. But yet, even within that, there's a fascination, there's this idea of having a forever home, whereas it's meant to say you can put down roots and live there for a long time. Well, reflecting about the show and the passage before us got me thinking about our forever home as Christians. Here in this passage, Jesus talks about our forever home. But it's not an earthly forever home. It's a spiritual, it's our heavenly forever home. That is to say, heaven is our forever home as followers of Jesus Christ. And Jesus offers this teaching on heaven to comfort his disciples. Our passage begins with Jesus saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Their hearts are troubled. So Jesus is basically saying, do not let your hearts be troubled any longer. Why are the hearts of the disciples troubled? Well, there's a couple things going on. First, Jesus is about to go to the cross, and he's about to return to his Father in heaven. And so in John 13, 33, Jesus says that he is going somewhere that the disciples cannot go. They cannot follow him. Secondly, in John 13, 21, Jesus said that one of the disciples is going to betray him. And then third, in 13, 38, Jesus told Peter that he would deny Jesus three times. And so the disciples have just heard Jesus share some really bad news. And no wonder their hearts are disturbed. Their hearts are troubled. Yet, interestingly enough, the word troubled here is the same word we saw last week in John chapter 12, where Jesus said, my heart troubles you. And so this shines light on the comforting and compassionate nature of our Savior, who, when his own heart is troubled, says, do not let your heart be troubled. He's getting ready to go to the cross to suffer immensely, and yet... He does not have himself on his mind, but his disciples. And so he offers them and us words of comfort. And he does so by talking about heaven. And in our passage before us, he teaches us three important truths about heaven. The reality of heaven, the comfort of heaven, and the way to heaven. So first, the reality of heaven. If you have your Bible or your bulletin, look with me back at verse 2, John 14. It says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? The phrase, my Father's house, that Jesus uses is clearly talking about heaven. In Psalm 33, 13, we read, the Lord looks down from heaven. Clearly, his dwelling place is heaven. That is his Now, in Jesus' words here in John 14, too, he doesn't teach us a lot about the details of heaven. In fact, that isn't his primary concern in this passage. Rather, he's emphasizing the reality of heaven. 
It's a real place. It's a place with many rooms for people. We don't want to think of those as like hotel rooms where it's small and crowded and say, oh, great, here's what's important for that. No, that's a glorious, luxurious apartment building or even standalone home where there is place for all of God's people. Friends, heaven is real. Scripture talks a lot about heaven, but we don't need the testimony of a little boy or someone who is trained to go to heaven to tell us of the reality of heaven. For Jesus explains it clearly. And scripture is full of places talking about heaven. We have the teaching of God's holy and infallible word. And that is all that we need. For God's people, the truth of the reality of heaven means that heaven is their forever home. That is where we are going. This earth isn't our home. We're simply passing through. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now, when we talk about heaven, we need to clarify a little bit about what we mean. When Scripture uses the idea of heaven, both at the word level and the concept level, there's a couple things going on. First is the heavens, is one of the words, uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. It's talking about the sky. Um, and that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Another way we can think about heaven, the Scripture describes, is where believers go when they die. Therefore, when we die, our soul is absent from the body. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Therefore, when we die, the souls of believers are with God in heaven. This is what sometimes is referred to as the intermediate state body is in the grave, our soul is with God in heaven. And the Bible's not abundantly clear about what that looks like, but we do know that is where we'll go. We do know that it will be us in some sense or fashion. We don't turn into angels or anything like that. It is us in heaven with our soul. What that looks like, the Bible's not clear, but we do know that we will be in heaven. And we will worship God forever. It doesn't mean that we're going to sit on a cloud, strumming a harp, singing kumbaya. It does mean that all of life is going to be lived for the glory of God. The second, or the final way Scripture talks about heaven or the afterlife is the new heaven and the new earth. In Revelation 21, we read that when Christ returns, he will recreate the earth in such a way that the heavens and the earth come together in the new heaven our physical bodies will rise. We will have uh, resurrected bodies. And we will live forever with God Almighty in this recreated heaven and earth. There will be no more death or pain or tears in the new heavens and the new earth. There will be no sin. And we will be with God forever. Therefore, when we think of our forever home in heaven, we can think of it in the terms of the, the second and the third way the Bible talks about heaven, that where we go when we die is also in Christ's home that we're with him forever, the new heavens and the new earth. Do you spend much time thinking about the reality of heaven? Do you ever let your mind kind of go and imagine the beauty and how wonderful it will be being in the presence of God? 
certainly we don't want to create heaven in our own image, or at least we can think to picture that in our head. But it's good for us to dwell spend time thinking about it, Lord willing, it will grow our desire to do that. And as we do that, it will help us live as God desires us to live on earth. Some people make the claim that Christians are so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. And that could be true. You could become so focused on heaven that you neglect your responsibilities here on earth, your job, your family, all sorts of things like that. But that shouldn't be the case. Instead, we should be so focused on heaven that we are of the utmost good here on earth. For example, if we lose sight of heaven, we might care too much about the things of earth. Our jobs, our family, our toys, our friends, our food. We might care too much about what other people think of us. And so we don't actually live as God desires. But if we instead focus on heaven, our eternal reward, then we can live here on earth as God desires for us. We can share our faith more confidently. We can give more generously. And we can love more deeply if we focus on our spiritual experiences. We can store up for ourselves treasures in heaven that we can pass back to those around us. Rather than treasures in this world. Jesus teaches us about the reality of heaven. We know it is true because he has told us it is true. And he is the source of all truth. But in our text, Jesus goes on to teach us more about heaven than just the reality of it, just that it exists. He also talks about the comfort of heaven. Remember that Jesus began our text by saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. He was giving the disciples enough comfort as he's getting ready to go back to heaven. And while the rest of chapter 14 as well as chapters 15 and 16 in John provide other avenues of comfort for the disciples, including the gift of the Holy Spirit, here in these first seven verses, Jesus focuses on the comfort that heaven gives. The fact that Jesus is going to prepare a place for them in return should give them comfort. The idea that life doesn't end at death, but rather is the gateway to eternal life, should give us a source of comfort and encouragement. Are you comforted by thinking about heaven? I hope so. Perhaps for you it's the thought of seeing loved ones again that gives you comfort. Wonderful reality of heaven that should give us comfort. Or maybe for you it's the comfort that lies in the fact that death will be no more, neither will there be pain or crying or tears anymore. There'll be no more suffering. If you're suffering from a chronic illness or cancer or some other disease or sickness, certainly the fact that these things will no longer exist in heaven is a wonderful source of comfort. Yet there's something more about heaven that provides us comfort. In fact, it goes so much deeper than what we've already mentioned. Look with me at verse 3. Jesus says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. 
Now, we might have expected Jesus to say, you know, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come and take you to where I go. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, no, if I go, I'll return and take you to be with So wonderful is Christ's love for his own that he is not satisfied with the idea of merely bringing them to heaven. He must take them into his own goodwill. See, the comfort of heaven is that we will be in the embrace, the love of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke 15, Jesus tells a parable of the prodigal son. His father has two sons. The one father basically says, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. His father gives him the money. He goes and squanders it, living recklessly in a faraway land. Eventually, the son comes to his senses. Hey, I can go back to my father. I can be his servant. I'll at least have enough food for the night. And in Luke 15, 20, we read this. And the son arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and ran and embraced him, and kissed him. It's a picture of the compassionate love of our Father, and it's just a glimpse, a foretaste of the love that will be ours as believers in Christ in heaven, where we find the welcoming embrace of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. How wonderful it will be to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Father. The story is told of a little girl whose mom became very sick. Her neighbors took the little girl to stay with her while her mother uh, was sick and in the hospital so that uh, she could have someone to stay. And they thought, we'll keep her for as long as her mother's sick, and then we'll let her go home when her mother's better, the girl is still sick. Unfortunately, the mother did not get better, and eventually she passed away. Given that the girl was young, the neighbors thought, how do we care for this little girl? And they thought, we're not going to take her back to her house until after the funeral. And we're not really going to talk about the idea that her mother died because it's just going to be too personal. So finally, one day, the neighbors thought, okay, it's time. Let's take her back to her house. The little girl started going through the house, going from room to room, looking for her mother. And after she had explored the whole house, she came to her neighbors and said, where is my mom? To which the neighbors replied, mom has left us. She's not with us anymore. The little girl feeling very sad told the neighbors, I'm ready to go. Let's go back to her house. You see, her house without her mom's presence had lost any sense of comfort, any sense of desire to be there. It wasn't the stuff in the house. It was the presence of her mom that made it heaven will be, but rather the presence of God Almighty. In that way, there is great comfort in the cross of Christ. In the midst of so much uncertainty, tension, pain, and unrest, there is comfort for God's people in our hope of heaven. Through Jesus, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ forever. And this reminds us that we have his presence with us today through the Holy Spirit. Looking forward to our forever home, 
with the presence of Jesus reminds us that we have to take good care. Henry Hoover says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The last thing Jesus teaches us about heaven here in our passage is the way to heaven. Jesus says in verse 3 that he is going to prepare a place for us. Now he's not talking about going and building a home for us. He's not talking about going and personalizing a room and putting our name on it and decorating it just at all times that we want. No, he's talking about the manner in which he prepares a place for all of us. He's talking about the cross. He's talking about what is going to happen to him in just a matter of a few days that he's going to die and be buried, but he's going to rise again victorious. That is how Jesus goes to prepare a place for the disciples and us. And this fits with what Jesus says later. In verse 4, he says that the disciples know the way to where he is going. Peter Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? It's an honest question. And we don't know exactly what's behind Thomas's confusion, so Jesus is fairly clear to his disciples about where he is going. But it doesn't really matter what's behind his confusion. What matters is Jesus' response. And notice that Jesus doesn't just come out and totally bash him for his question. He doesn't he doesn't rebuke him. Rather, he lovingly teaches him. One of the most powerful words in Scripture is John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the emphasis here is on the fact that Jesus is the way. We know this because Thomas just asked about the way. So Jesus is responding to his question about the way. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Not that he's the true and living way, but the idea that the way is what is emphasized. In other words, it's because Jesus is the truth and the life. He can be the way to God the Father and to life eternal. Notice that Jesus says he's not the source of truth. He's not a truth. He doesn't just come to give truth. He is the truth. He is the embodiment of all truth. And he is the life. Elsewhere in John, Jesus tells us that he is the resurrection of life. He is the source of eternal life. And because of that, he is the way to heaven. How is Jesus the way to heaven? It's through his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus perfectly obeyed God's commands while living on earth. And he did that on our behalf. Perfection is what is required to enter heaven. And left to our own devices, we would never make it, for we are all sinners. But Jesus was perfect for us. He also died on the cross, taking our punishment for someone who had never sinned, didn't deserve to die. He took upon himself our sin and the wrath of God for that sin. Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose again victorious, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And so therefore, he is the way to heaven. Now notice the intensity of what Jesus says here. This is perhaps one of the most exclusive claims in Scripture. We can't shy away from this. Jesus doesn't teach that he is a way 
of heaven. He isn't one among many gods. Nowhere does Scripture teach that there are many paths to consciousness or that you can get that however you want. But Jesus says, I am the way. Friends, this is something that the postmodern world really struggles with. According to several studies conducted about five years ago, 70 to, between 70 and 80 percent of Americans believe that heaven is a real place that you could go and experience. Yet about that same number believe that you can kind of get there however you want. And in fact, 52 percent of self-identified Christians say that you, there are multiple ways to consciousness. I'm not sure about that. Jesus is abundantly clear. He is the only way to heaven. And apart from him, there is no hope for future redemption. But John, isn't that unloving to say? Isn't that judgmental for us to say? Well, first of all, we need to realize it's not us that's saying this. It's God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's God's word that makes these exclusive claims. We just simply must be faithful to what God says. Moreover, it's not unloving to make known what Scripture says. Think of it like a cure for cancer. Lord willing, one day there will be a cure found. And if it's found, imagine that you diagnose with cancer, you go to see your doctor. The doctor says, hey, I got a bunch of pills, and one of these is a cure for cancer, but there's a bunch of them, so, so take whichever ones you want. Uh, it doesn't matter, you know, hopefully it'll work out. Would that be a loving approach to the doctor? Certainly not. In fact, the doctor might get sued for malpractice. Friends, the most loving thing we can do is unashamedly proclaim the exclusive claim of Jesus eternity's claim of Jesus Christ. He's not a friend of yours. Jesus really is the only way to heaven. Yet at times we undermine that. We may not come out directly and say, oh, there's plenty of ways to get to heaven. But sometimes we live like we believe that. And I think the most fundamental way we fall into that is by thinking somehow we can be good enough to make it to heaven. My good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, and surely God will let me in. Or, I believe, yes, that Jesus died on the cross, and if I'm good, then those two things come together, and I can make it to heaven. But that flies in the face of what Jesus is teaching. And basically, when we say that, we're saying, Jesus, what you say isn't true. You're a liar, and I'm the head of the Jesus has given us wonderful teaching here on heaven. He's emphasized the reality of heaven, the comfort of heaven, and the way to heaven. A long time ago, a very wealthy man lay on his deathbed. He had a little daughter who was only four years old. And at this age, she didn't really understand the reality of death. 
But when her mother told her that her father was going away, she looked into her father's eyes and asked the question, Papa, have you got a home in that land to where you are going? The question sunk deep in the man's soul, for he had spent his time and energy accumulating great wealth here on earth. In this life, he had enjoyed a grand home, but now he had no same question remains for you and I here today. Do you have a home where you are going? In thinking about death, it is far better to be leaving our homes here on earth and going to a home in heaven. The reality is there's only two options. Either our home is here on earth or it's in heaven. And I pray for all of us that we would put our focus on our forever home Call for us to trust in Jesus and to see it as such. The beginning of our passage, Jesus said, Believe in God, believe also in me. Call for me to trust in God, trust also in Jesus. Continue to trust in Him. Find your hope and joy in Him.